Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. Um, we're coming back to it this week. Um, the last time we were together, Pastor Rick taught. Did he do a decent job? All right, right on. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, two, two people thought the series is good and four said that your teacher was good, so apparently it's, it's me, not you. <laughs> uh, and so I appreciate that, Pastor Rick. What we learned in chapter three is three things. Christ's sacrificial death for us, the working of the Holy Spirit in us and them, and how God's plan has always been worked out by faith. Amen? And so this is the thing that, the one thing, if it were, that Paul was trying to explain in what we know is the third chapter of Galatians, is that we know primarily that God loves us, God saved us, and that that salvation comes to us through grace by faith. And it's always been that way. And guess what? It's always going to be that way. God extended grace to us. We accept that grace by faith. And in that accepting of grace by faith, we come into relationship with God. And so the, the Galatians, as I've explained to you, weren't on the same page as Paul. They had allowed the Judaizers to come in and mess them up and kind of jam up their theology. They, they wanted to tell them that faith wasn't enough, but they had to add some stuff to it. And of course, this speaks horribly against the gospel that Christ did, and because Christ did, we are. And so Paul is writing the letter to Galatians for the sole purpose of defending his ministry, to make sure that the Galatians on this page and him and God on this page get on the same page. Because we know whenever we're not on the same page together, there's confusion and chaos. Do I have an echo in my mic that I don't normally have? Yeah. Um, and so there's a, there's a confusion and chaos when we're not on the same page. When I worked at the sheriff's office, when I was in the military, if I wasn't on the same page as my team, and I was trying to lead them, but they had no vision for what it is I was trying to show them, then all we did was got in each other's way. When we entered a room together as a SWAT element or whatever to try to clear a house, if I didn't know, if I didn't make it abundantly clear, this is what's here, this is what's here, this is what we're after, this is how we're going to approach the house, this is what we're going to do, and they didn't catch that, they didn't truly understand what I was saying to them, we're going to get in the doorway of this house and we're going to bump into each other. Our guns are going to be going all kinds of different places. The world's going to be upside down. Somebody's going to get hurt. And at the very least, there's going to be chaos and confusion. And this is what happens when we're not on the same page. I think we're good now. I'm not hearing it anymore. And so Paul is trying to get them all back on the same page. Because not being on the same page is bad. And he does that, of course, through the whole letter of Galatians. And so... Today we're going to talk about how because of the three things we learned in chapter 3, that Christ died a sacrificial death for us, that we have the Spirit 
working in us and that that salvation is available to us by grace through faith, we have confidence to know that in Christ, by the work of Christ, we are sons of God. Amen. We should be excited about the fact that God decided to take the gutter trash out of the gutter, wash it off, dress it in fine linen, open up the front door of his house, and invite us in. But not just invite us in to visit, but invited us in as family. Man, that is so good. And when I think about that, man, it, it, it brings me to a place that I've been there. I've been that gutter trash, like literally and spiritually and physically. I've been that trash, that throwaway kid that nobody had time for. That's the reason why you guys often hear me talk about my granny and my papa. They literally took me out of the gutter and cleaned me up and brought me into their home and adopted me. I have a, I have a different understanding of this than most folks because I, I was that guy physically. And through revelation of the Holy Spirit, I realize that I'm also that guy spiritually. But not just me, anybody who recognizes Christ's work, the empowerment and the sealing of the Holy Spirit, and the fact that faith in grace is what saves us. Man, that's good. <laughs> I'm, 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 I like the Word of God. You guys should be excited about the Word of God. I, I know I sound, sometimes I sound like a, a kid up here trying to work his way through his first youth lesson. But, man, if we can't get excited about the fundamental things, what can we get excited about? And the fact that Jesus Christ loves us is beautifully fundamental. It's, a compre it's, it's, it's beautifully fundamental, but so complex we can't grab a hold of it. You guys have heard me say before, all this theology, all this stuff that we talk about, just throw it out the window and concentrate on one thing. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. If you can understand this one fundamental truth, then you'll understand more than most theologians know. Because as Pastor Leonard said in his prayer a little while ago, God, how can I be even begin to explain your greatness, your magnificence, your beauty, your strength? We can't, but I know that I have access to it because of Christ's work because I've been sealed and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and that I accepted that work by faith. Amen? And we should hold on to that, or we're going to end up like the Galatians. We're going to be off the, off the page. We're going to try to add stuff to the gospel. There is no other gospel. It's literally what we named this series because it's what Paul says. There's no other gospel. If anybody ever tells you anything other than what I'm telling you in regard to the gospel is what Paul was saying, then I don't care who they are. I don't care if it's an angel. I don't care if it's me. I don't care who it is. They're liars, and they're damned straight to hell because they're telling a false gospel. They're false teachers, and the judgment is their future. Man, I know that sounds harsh, right? You said damned to hell. I'm not cussing. I'm just telling you the truth. And so we have to stay on the same page and recognize that we can't add anything to it. Not that I don't appreciate your volunteer work. Not that I don't appreciate your offering. Not that I don't, because all of those things are works that prove that faith is working in you, but they don't save you. You know, man, if I could just work a little harder. If you can work just a little bit harder, you're just as saved as you were before you started working at all. You're just more tired. Amen? 
And God didn't call us to be tired. He gave us a gift and called us to work in that and expect his empowerment in that gift. I'm a little off subject, but I'm on a roll. So, <laughs> so anyway, that's what he's saying. He said, I just want us to be on the same page. Stop giving, just give up on this hybrid Christianity that you have. This Christianity says that Jesus ain't enough. Did you know that when you try to work your way into heaven, when you think your works can save you, you're telling God the sacrificial work of his son wasn't enough for you? Yeah, I know. I appreciate what Jesus did. All hung on the cross. And, and I'm not being flippant, but this is what we say. All hung on the cross and suffered and got beat and blasphemed against. And he came out of heaven, humbled himself, and lived a life of perfection. I know he did all of that, but there's, I have responsibilities too. And what he did for me isn't sufficient. I have to help. We should be ashamed of ourselves if we think of such a thing. Amen? Because he is enough. He's greater than enough. He's abundantly enough. He's overflowing enough. Amen? And so I just, if I don't say anything else, which I'm going to say a lot of other stuff. <laughs> but if I didn't say anything else, I'd want you to have confidence in that. Take comfort in that. Get on the same page with Paul. Amen? Let's read this text together. I'm going to start with 29 of chapter 3 and go to 7. May end up teaching in 8. I don't know. but So I'll read 29 through 8. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. This is after he was just talking about all the stuff we talked about. Now I say, having said all of that, that you're saved by Christ, sealed by the Spirit, adopted through faith. Now I say, as long as as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But, man, anytime there's a but in there, Paul's turning it around and says, but you need to realize who you are. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He may redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons, because you are sons. God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Those are the two most beautiful words in all of your text, all of the Scripture, Abba, Father. Then we get the opera. I'm going to get into this in a minute, but just because I'm excited about it right now. We get the privilege of speaking as intimately towards God as Jesus did. Why? Because we're sons too. Carrying on. Therefore, you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Verse 8, However, at that time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. Amen. God, I ask that you bless your word. So I want to talk to you today, sons of God. My intent was originally, just so you know, to teach through 20. And I had too much information by the time I got to verse 7, so I stopped there. To make one point, sons of God are sons in Christ. You're only a son of God because you are in Christ Jesus. 
I want you to do me a favor. Sometimes I say, go read some stuff. I want you to read Ephesians all the way. Uh, let's just stick to chapters 1 and 2. Not right now. I don't need you to pay attention to me right now. But in Ephesians 1 and 2, and you may or may not be able to see it from where you are. My Bible's pretty marked up. You see all these circles in my Bible on this page? And all the circles in my Bible on this page? You know what those are? Those are in Christ, through Christ, by Christ statements. Paul opens up Ephesians to say, this is who you are. This is why you are who you are. In Christ, in Christ, by Christ we have the promise. By Christ we're heirs. By Christ we're blessed. By Christ we're privileged. Through Christ we have, we have sonship. Over and over and over again. In Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2, man, you just want to feel good about feeling good that God loves you? Read Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 with the in, through, and by Christ's statements in mind. And you'll walk away from there feeling both encouraged and empowered. But we're sons of God. I bring that up to say we're sons of God because we are sons in Christ, through Christ, by Christ. Amen? Pastor Rick said something last week, or at least it was in his notes. <laughs> the law can't fix the problem of our unrighteousness. It was intended to highlight our unrighteousness. Verses 1 through 3 read like this. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is an owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers under the date set by his father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. You know what the elemental things of the world are? Those things are the spiritual rites, uh, the, the Jewish spiritual rites and feasts and all those kinds of things that showed us the righteousness of God, knowing that we could never achieve the righteousness of God. Do you know why the, the law was written? To reflect to you how inadequate you are to work yourself into heaven. All the laws, all the stuff just shows the holiness of God. Shows the righteousness of God. You want to know why you're not allowed to be around disease and the law? Because God is perfect in every way. You want to know why you're not allowed to do any of the things that the law commands you not to do? Because they reflect perfectly the perfection and the holiness of God. And you can't be righteous by yourself. The most the law can do is show you how unrighteous you are. And I tell you, I know how unrighteous I am. And anybody that ever tried to practice the law knew how unrighteous they were. It's the reason the sacrificial system existed. Because they knew they couldn't bear the weight of their own sin. You can't bear the weight of your own sin. The law exists to show you that you are inadequate. I feel like I've said that four or five times, but I want it to rest heavy on you because God determined to do something about that. He wrote the law to show His holiness and to say it's okay that you can't do it on your own. I give you this sacrificial system to be a shadow and a type for the, for the time in the history where you won't have to worry about those things anymore where you won't have to concern yourself with 
do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. Not to say you're not supposed to walk in obedience, but it's the sacrificial work of Jesus that fulfills and completes the law. Not you. You can't do it. Jesus himself said, I came that I might fulfill what? The law. And he did it perfectly so that we can walk in righteousness. And so there's types and shadows in the Scripture to show us who Jesus would be, the tabernacle, and the way the law dictated that it worked, and the, what you did inside of it, what you did around it, all of those small, seemingly small minutiae things, all the way to the color of the linen, depicted the perfection of the sacrifice that would come. The cleansing in the front of the temple, the tabernacle, the the gate around it, the idea that all the tribes circled around the tabernacle. Did you know when they set the tabernacle up, there was a very distinct way in which all the different tribes had to position themselves in regard to that tabernacle? Do you know which tribe was at the front gate of the tabernacle? The tribe of the Lion of Judah. Isn't that awesome? God was trying to say, listen, there's going to be a time in your future where all this is going to make sense to you. I'm going to show you. I'm pointing you to Jesus so that when Jesus shows up, you'll know who he is. So the tabernacle points to him. The bronze serpent in the desert that Moses had to raise up to save the people is a, is a shadow of Jesus. Cast your eyes upon Jesus and you will be saved. What am I saying? Why am I saying all this? Because the law was fulfilled in Jesus. Everything, righteousness, was fulfilled in Jesus. Your perfection is worked out by the power of the Holy Spirit because you are in relationship with Jesus in Christ. Amen? I, amen indeed. Thank you, Lord. But he is under guardians. We were under guardians and managers. That's the law. Until the date set by the Father. Until God sent Jesus. And we should be grateful for that. We should thank God for these things. Because Christ is the fulfillment. Can I prove this to you in Scripture? Matthew 5, 17 says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Nobody ever condemned the law. Nobody ever said the law was a bad thing. The law was a beautiful thing because it beautifully showed us who God would be. But he says, I did not, do not think I came to abolish the, the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, which means I didn't come to get rid of them. I came to fulfill them. I came to bring you complete and absolute understanding of what they were saying to you. Jesus is the fulfillment of our righteousness. Mm, it's good. And then verse 4 and 5, we see answers to what Christ did to fulfill that. What God did to fulfill that. I, I look at four and five and I see four questions. It says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, because you are sons. I'm sorry, so we'll stop there. Receive the adoption as sons. You know, Pastor Jim, there's no questions in that. Sure there is. There's four of them. There's when. But God moved on your behalf. When? When the fullness of time came. When God determined the time was right. I don't have time to go into a full-blown 
history lesson with you. But can I tell you that the second that the gospel was capable of being spread all around the known world at that time, Jesus was born into it. The Roman road system, the system of governance, the single language that they all used and could communicate by, all came to fruition at the same time Jesus was born into the world. Had it been born before that? Had he been born before that? There would have been no way to get the message out. There would have been barriers of communication. There would have been multiple issues, commerce problems. But God, in the right time, in the fullness of time, as quickly as he could get Jesus to us, he got Jesus to us. Isn't that amazing? He, he's all like, okay, now go. They're ready. That's how much God thinks of you. He watched the timetable of eternity and put a pen 2,000 years ago on that timetable and said, now's the time, Jesus, go. You know how I know that? Because he had a plan from the foundations of the world to save you. But not just when, but who? God. God in the fullness of time. God had a plan to save you. You know, we started this year with a sermon series called He Is, if you were here for that. And we talked about He is beautiful, He is magnificent, He is trustworthy, He is peace, He is all of these things. That God, that God that doesn't need you, determined to want you. We don't have to exist. We exist for God. We exist because it's in His pleasure that we exist. But He wanted us to exist and be in relationship with Him. And so the question is, when? And we've answered that at the very first available opportunity. Who? God the Father. God had a plan and saw fit to fulfill that plan. Because he loves you. Because he cares about you. Because he wants to be in a relationship with you. Because, because he can. It'd be much easier. I would think. I, I can't imagine anything's hard for God. But in my own finite mind, I think it would have been easier for God to just say, y'all are all stupid. I'm out. I'm, I'm going to start over. And just kill us where we stand. But he didn't. Instead, he did this. He answered the question of how. He sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. He sent us Jesus to redeem us. When? The first opportunity he could. Who? God. How? By his son. Born of a woman, born under the law. Jesus Christ paid a penalty for you. He paid a price for you. He was the perfect sacrifice for you. So that the law may be fulfilled. You know, in the law, they had to take the, 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 the lamb or whatever it is they were sacrificing. They had to ensure that it was absolutely perfect. That there was no blemish in it. And it was mandatory that they kept that lamb or that 
animal that they were going to sacrifice for a certain amount of time so that they could not just look at it but observe it, make sure it didn't have a limp they didn't notice at first or something else may be happening to it. Jesus was absolutely perfect. That's why Jesus was the only absolutely perfect sacrifice because him who had no sin, who had no blemish, became sin on our behalf so that we might be righteous. And man, that's, that's incredible to me. No matter how much you peel back the fleece of the Lamb of God, and we should from time to time, just run our fingers through the fleece and see perfection after perfection after perfection that is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us. And he did this while under the law to show us that it's possible to be righteous. Man, we have a, we have a high priest that can relate to us, is what Hebrews says. And that's why we have the confidence to go into the throne room of grace and mercy because we have a high priest that intercedes on our behalf. This is God, Dad, this one belongs to me. He's standing in your presence now because he belongs to me. You gave him to me. Would you hear the cries of his heart? Would you hear the cries of her heart? Will you bring him or her the peace that they're asking for? The comfort that they're asking for? Can you, by my name, because I did the work and you exalted me according to his word, can you heal them? Because I bled for them. That's, that's how. Jesus Christ paid a penalty for us the penalty that we owed, the debt that we owed. You guys know all of these verses that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Jesus did all that. In answering this question, how? By answering it with, he sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, which means he was fully human too which means he was just as susceptible to sin as you are. But he walked in absolute perfection and holiness so that he could be the absolute perfect holy sacrifice for you. So that the law that required a perfect sacrifice might be fulfilled through him so that you could walk in relationship. And that's beautiful. I know I'm saying that's beautiful a lot, but this is beautiful, man. God didn't have to do any of this for us. And then he continues. He says, because you were sons of God, because you were sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. I, I, I kind of touched on this a little while ago. God gave us Intimacy. All of these questions, the when and the fullness of time, the how, by being born of a woman, born under the law, the why, which I didn't cover but kind of did, so that, we might, so that he might redeem those who were under the law. The why is so that we could be saved. And because we are sons, 
He has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Which means intimacy. Which means that we have a right to come to Him just the same as His own Son comes to Him with absolute confidence that He hears us. We talked a little bit about that last week. I can't imagine when my girls were little and now my grandbaby asking for provision because they were hungry and me not giving it to them. Asking me to protect them and me not protect them. To care for them and not take care of them. What father gives his son a stone? Right? These are the confidences that we have. Not because of any work that we did, but because God sent his son Jesus as a man born of a woman while under the law to fulfill that law by redeeming us so that we could have that level of intimacy. That's, that's why we're sons of God. That's how we're sons of God. That's how we continue as sons of God. Therefore, you are no longer a slave. You're not bound by the law anymore. You're not shackled to that but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God with the rights and privileges of every other son that's ever been born into every other loving family, but with a greater love because no man loves his children like God does. Amen?